на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we're casting an eye over Russia's 3-1 win over Malta in the opening World Cup 2022 qualifying match, the UEFA Euro Under-21 group stage campaign, which has just started today, and a managerial change in the RPL. I'm James Nichols, your host as always, and we've got the usual suspects back again, and joining me is David. Evening, James. Evening, Richard. And Richard. Good evening, James. Good evening, David. How are we all? I don't think David's good. It sounded like he perhaps fell off his chair there when he first came well, in. I just realised I am... Um... Oh, I did my desk. I didn't even notice that. I think it's because they span around on my little <laughs> creaky work chair that I'm on. Um, but then Get- I thought, oh shit, I spoiled the fact that Richard's on. <laughs> Getting too excited about Russia from last night. <laughs> and now, of course, Russia did open up their World Cup qualifying campaign last night with a 3-1 victory over Malta. Richard, you watched the game. What did you think, think of Russia? Was it a decent performance or as expected against the, the group's minnows? Um, no, I would I actually say it was quite a concerning performance. I mean, look, result-wise, yes. Um, Russia went away from home in Europe in um, qualification and got the job done. They got the three points, they got the result. However, it was not a good performance. You know, I saw a stat early on the internet where I actually thought that, I think it was pretty even for shots at goal between Malta and Russia. And that's a bit of a concerning thing. You know, um, the result was good, but performance... Scratchy, I would say. Uh, first fifteen minutes of the game, I thought, you know, you can you can accept a bit of um, sloppiness in the first fifteen minutes of a game. You know, it's when you know people are a bit tight, a bit nervous early doors. But then about between between the fifteenth minute and the forty fifth minute of the first and, and the forty fifth minute of the first half, I thought Russia, you know, suddenly then took control of it. They got their two goals. Um, Atom Zuba scored. I forgot who scored the second. I have forgotten who scored the second goal, but I know Zuba scored the first. There was some nice link up play with that one. And then yeah, you thought when they got the second goal, got in front two got in front, got two nil up at half time, went in for the set went in for half time break in the second half. You thought, right, that's gonna relax them a bit now. Gonna start playing, you know, a bit more um a bit more freedom in the second half, get a few more goals. But the second half was really flat. There was um a lot of sloppy passing in midfield. Um, and yeah, just, I don't know why, you know, when they got two up in the game, suddenly then, you know, it, it all got really sloppy and, you know, Ionov then played a sloppy back pass back to Karavayev, which is intercepted by the Malta player, then Malta scored. And then, yeah, I mean, up until about the 80th minute of the game after Malta got their goal back, Russia then were a bit sloppy. I did the last 10 minutes, maybe Malta tied a little bit and Russia eventually did step it up a bit further after that and um, they got the third goal. It, I mean, it was a, not the best goalkeeper for the Malta, goalkeeper for the third. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's three points. It's a job done, but we'll definitely have to be a lot better than that because obviously the two teams that they're playing next up in um, Slovenia and Slovakia are definitely of a much higher calibre than Malta with much better players. So, um, they're going to have to step it up. Hopefully, the playing against a better quality opponent will focus Russia more so that, you know, um, the performance level naturally goes up. Um, I mean, it was a good night for Russia, ultimately, in the end, you know, Cyprus 
drew with Slovakia. I was not expect I was expecting Slovakia to beat Cyprus, and also Slovenia beat Croatia. I guess that's a good thing in a way because Croatia are a rival for qualification. But then again, quite concerning because Slovenia have obviously showed that they're a decent side, and Russia played them at the weekend. So um, hopefully there'll be a step up in quality um, come the Slovenia and Slovakia games because um, the, there were certain elements of that performance last night were a bit sloppy. Yeah, and there absolutely needs to be a step up in quality. It, it needs to be remembered that Malta is what's a, it's a side consisted of largely semi-professional players and players who are based domestically out of one of the lowest ranked leagues in the entirety of UEFA in the Maltese Premier League. I think one of very few non-Maltese players actually in their squad last night was a, a player who, who plays for Newport County in the English fourth tier. So it's. It, I agree. I was a little bit concerned about some aspects of the performance, but I suppose in the end they got the job done. All that was important was was the victory at the end. Um, during which, actually, uh, a certain Artyom Zuba did score for Russia, and that now takes him to the second highest goal scorer ever for the Russian national team on twenty seven goals. He leapfrogged Vladimir Bestachnik last night. David, we covered this last week, and obviously you weren't here for last week's podcast, but what were your thoughts about this squad in general by Stani? I mean, when we see the team last night, there was a few debutants in the squad, but none of them got on the pitch, and he, he tended to go with his favoured selection as as usual. So what were your thoughts on the general selection and then, and then the team for last night as well? Um, I, I'm willing to give him some slack for this selection. Um, just purely because the under twenty ones is going on at the same time as we as we've detailed in the past, you know, um, the priority from the the RFU is clearly to let this generation play the whole way through. Obviously, they are playing a year behind because of COVID. So the these guys, the twenty three year olds like um, Lesavoy, Makarov, Chalov, Obliakov, etc., etc., they're all in there. So I'm willing to give him some slack for guys like Yonov being called up still and starting still just because at the moment his selection is quite limited. A lot of the players who you're probably leaning to be calling up uh, are off for the under-21s uh, doing their thing over there. Um, but no, it was good to see Formin. Formin had a good first half. Akmietov starting as well, who didn't have a great game, to be honest. Um, he had a quite a poor game. Um, but we saw Sobolev come off the bench. Jumalabinov came on after a, you know some decent form um, for Lokomotiv, and that was his first cap for, for Russia off the bench there. Um, I don't think we would really have expected too much. The only thing I was slightly disappointed was um, that, you know, against this weak opposition, we didn't see maybe Dupin start. You know, you think it's unlikely that Dupin will play against any of the next two teams. Uh, and Smoshnikov wasn't even on the bench, um, which is a shame to see. Um, you know, Karabaya playing at left back, which he's done before for Russia. Uh, you know, and he had a good game out there. So, um, yeah, I'm willing to give him some slack on the on the... The squad and the selection. Um, first half was solid. They, they, you know, they played decent in the first half, and that was really enough to make it job done. Um, the second half was very flat. They sat off. Um, what we wouldn't I wouldn't say necessarily controlled the game, but Russia didn't control the game either. It was just a game. Just it was just a sloppy game, and Russia just could have had a couple of goals based off the terrible goal kicks which Mortal had, and they actually did obviously score um, from a terrible goal kick eventually. Um, so yeah, it was it was a it was a game which was won in the first half. You know, Malta scored with 
um, a shot which was possibly savable and a goal which is definitely preventable. Um, they didn't just have one shot; they had multiple shots, but none were like I wouldn't have said none were really big chances. You know, the goal they did score wasn't even a big chance; it was just a well-taken strike, uh, too powerful for Shunin to save. So yeah, it was. It wasn't necessarily uplifting performance, but it was enough to get the job done. Um, but yeah, you would worry maybe um, going into some of these other fixtures. Um, but hopefully later in the qualifying selection, um, we'll see a bit of variety in the squads um, once the Euros is finished for the under-21s, which obviously finishes at some point in the summer, assuming Russia get out of their group and get to that point. So um so yeah, just get these first three out of the way and I think we'll see a bit more variety in the squads as it goes on. Yeah, and you, you did mention it, David, and the European Under-21s takes place right now. So we'll move on to the European Under-21s and next week we're going to cover the remaining two of the first team's fixtures in the in the current spate of the international break. And Russia have actually just, just defeated Iceland Under-21s in the opening match of that championship. And the the one four one in quite a comprehensive and very impressive victory and performance as well. Now the as a quick aside, first I will explain the European under twenty ones, what it is and why it's taking place both now and in the summer. Now it is, as you would expect, the regular UEFA European Championships for players who were only born on or after the first of January nineteen ninety eight to be eligible. Uh, the group stages take place now, this uh, during this international break in March, uh, and the knockout stages then in May, in the summer, in the end of May and start of June. Now, it was all supposed to take place then, but obviously because of the delaying of the senior European Championship, it did have to be moved like this. And I think it's quite a clever little way of both fitting it into a period of when it's not going to affect club game too much, and also... Uh, Bring some limelight and some attraction to the matches as as the under twenty ones game actually does does deserve because some of the games are of very high quality and particularly Russia's standard of play today. Now Russia themselves are in a group with Iceland, France, and Denmark's unders. And as things stand, all of the games are still being played behind closed doors in Hungary and Slovenia, where the where the host in the, as the host nations. Uh, among the Russia squad are actually three players who were uncapped at this level before the tournament. Uh, Adamov, Chukavin, and a certain Arsene Zakarian, who we'll hear, I'm sure, a lot a lot more about in five to ten minutes' time. Now, Chukavin wasn't in the initial squad, but he did replace Konstantin Kachayev, who had to drop out. Uh, the, the squad is, as you would expect, big names include uh, Maximenka in goal at Spartak, uh, Igor Dveyev, Roman Yevgenyev, uh, Pavel Maslov, Daniel Krugovoy, Naya Teknizian, uh, Daniel Glebov, Daniel Kulikov, Leand Lesevoy, Alexander Lomovitsky, Oblyakov, uh, Sharpy, Nailomyarov, Utkin, Zakarian, Chalov, Grulyov, Makarov, and Chukavin. So quickly run through them there. Now, David, you've just literally hot off the press came along with, I mean, all of us had watched the game, but what yeah, I think you seem pretty enthused by that result and performance, the 4-1 win over Iceland. Yeah, I mean, we were talking uh, in our chat before the game about, you know, it was an important one. Um, you know, of the three fixtures that Russia have got, France, Denmark and Iceland, this is this is the one they really needed to get off with a win, um, with Denmark and France being 
arguably, you know, the harder fixtures. Um, so Russia needed to get off with a good start, and obviously we'd seen seen them qualify well. Um, you know, they scored a lot and only conceded four games in all of qualification, four goals sorry, in all of qualification, which is you know a solid record. Um, and the the openings, opening exchanges, I wasn't sure where the game was going to go. Iceland were were you know keeping the game even. Both teams were getting forward. Both teams were having shots. Well, that, that's a lie. Both teams were getting forward. Russia were having shots. Um, Iceland were just threatening, but never could get anything to stick. Um, but yeah, you know, the Russia eventually did win a penalty. Um, could play down the right from Makarov and Zaharian, uh, who the latter who won the penalty got tripped as he chopped inside. Uh, and once that was tucked away, Russia really then stepped up. Um, Iceland, obviously, it seemed like they were instructed to maybe sit off for a bit. Um, the, the second goal came out from actually some intense pressing from Iceland. Um, about 10 minutes later, they were pressing Russia really deep in their defence and I was worried that they were going to get caught out. Um, but they really they played it so well to get out of defence. Some really nice one-touch stuff, um, which ended up with Tignesian making a bursting run forward. Played a 1-2 with Chalov, carried on his run, uh, dinked, it over the, dinked it over the keeper. Very, very nice goal. Uh, and then Zakarian again, then bagged the third goal with... Um, again, more into play with Chalov, and then a nice, a little mazy solo run, which the, he then nicked it past the keeper right on the stroke of half time. So that was a great first half. You know, going at three 0 you, you you're, you're feeling confident for the second half. Um, they got the fourth relatively early on. Makarov um, scoring another Makarov special. Uh, you know, a little little run with some shots and some skills and a classic powerful finish. And then Russia started making subs. Uh, and you know the game. The game was won at that point. Russia made all their subs um, over the next sort of twenty minutes or so. Resting players like Chalov, Makarov, they came off. Um, Iceland got a, a goal back from like one of their only shots on target in the entire game. Um, and and you know they played it out well. Could have scored. Could have maybe scored again. But um, game was won. Uh, big important victory. And now we just wait and see how uh, how France do in their game later against Denmark and. Yeah. They can go into the next ones with some confidence. You know, it should it should be a real confidence boost for the boys. Um, you know, going into going into the next game. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the some of the statistics from the game as well, and the one name that really points out is Fyodor Chalov. Got his goal early on through the penalty, and then three assists. He, he was involved in everything in the game. He had an excellent performance. But one I'd like to really highlight is is Arsen Zakarian. He only made his debut against Tambov towards the end of the first half of the season. He was named in the the Guardian's next generation of the biggest upcoming talents in European football. And since then, and since the winter break, he started every single game for Dinamo. He's now started the first game for the under-21s back. Um, Dinamo have won all of these games, apart from the derby match against Spartak. And ironically, that's the only game that they haven't won in which Sakarian wasn't directly involved in the goal. Um, as if I remember correctly, that's he he's played in. Um, he scored against Akhmat, got an assist against Tambov, scored uh, assist against Krasnodar, and now scored against Iceland in the twenty ones as well as getting as winning the opening penalty as well with a nice mazy little run. Uh, he's been absolute revelation. And Richard discussing Zakarian and that revelation. There's actually quite a few young Dynamo players 
in this squad. It, it does really suggest that the future is bright for Dinamo, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, absolutely, James. I think that, um, you know, there's also Yevgeniev at the back. Guryov came off the bench today. Um, second half substitute. Chukavin, too, was another second half substitute. So, yeah, I think the, the future is quite bright um, uh, for Dinamo. And it's, it's, it's brilliant to see, as we mentioned on last week's pod, it's, it's really refreshing to see a coach um, in Sandro Schwartz from abroad come in and show faith in these young players, you know, um, give them the minutes, you know, stick by them, pull an arm around them when, you know, they suffer that loss against Spartak and keep playing them. You know, in the past, we've had situations where, you know, maybe a young player has been thrown in and then, you know, a manager has taken them out after a defeat. But no, I'm, I'm really liking what Schwartz is doing. He's showing faith in these young players of Dinamo. And Zakaria, what a rise. I mean, yeah, to go from your debut to, what, four or five months later, playing in a major international youth tournament for your country. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, the great thing about, about Zakaria is as well is he's actually eligible for the next two editions of the under-21s, which is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, you suspect maybe for the next cycle, he will be dipped in and out of the senior team to the under-21s team. You really, you know, he could probably, if Russia qualify for the next, uh, tournament after this he could feature in that too and you know they could put him in 21s in the senior team managers minutes between the two so yeah I, I'm, I think Dinamo potentially have a very bright future and it's fantastic seeing these young academy products get some games and um, I saw bits mm-hmm. of the second half and yeah very very promising and um, it's a good win today and um, hopefully they can be good and competitive against France in the next game Yeah absolutely and moving on to that I will quickly want to mention France is that they are, of course, the tournament favourites. They are one of the, or probably by quite some distance, to be honest, the strongest side in the tournament. Going through the squad, I mean, names like Melier, Badashile, uh, Wesley Fofana, Jules Kunde, Matteo Ganduzi, Eduardo Camavinia, Odson Edward. It's just the list goes on and on. So, Richard, straight back to you. What are your expectations for the for this? Do you think they could qualify for the knockout stages that take place in May? Well, this result today helps them. Um, they had to win this game. I think I think Iceland probably are the weakest of the four sides in this group. So they had to win this, on paper anyway, they had to win this game today. Um, Denmark are an interesting one. I think there's a few players who play for Brentford in Denmark's team. Obviously, they're playing week in, week out in the Championship. A few others as well. There was one player, I think, is on loan from Juventus somewhere and he was supposed to be quite a hot prospect a few years ago, but his name escapes me. Um, so they've got the job done now. They've got three points on the board. So the pressure's on now, the other two teams. Obviously, I'm expecting France to beat Denmark tonight. Um, and yeah, so they've got three points on the board. They, they had to win this game today. Job done there. So I'm kind of I'm hoping that France do beat Denmark tonight because I think France are the strongest side in this group. And I think Russia would then go into the into the France game, which is next for them. They will go into that game. If, if France and Russia win... Well, Russia's obviously won, but if France wins tonight as well, then I think Russia will go into that France game. And it's a bit of a free shot, really. I don't think we expect them to win, because as you were saying, James, this France side is is absolutely brilliant. But, you know, if they could just, you know, play play the hearts out again, defend really well, and probably even, probably even try and eco to point against France, if they could do that, then that puts them in a decent position going into that final game against Denmark. Because you know, I expect France to win the group, but I certainly think second place is on for um, for Russia in this, and um, that would mean qualifications to the final eight in the summer. And not just that at stake for, I mean, 
not just at stake for the players too, but I think also for Mikhail Glatzionov, the under-21s manager, because I think this is really interesting for him as well, because we're expecting a lot of this um, on the 21 side to progress to the senior squad after these European championships, the senior squad and the coming after the under-21 Euros as well, depending on whether Russia get to the final phase in the summer. But it's also important for Glatzionov as well, because obviously does make you wonder, doesn't it? If he gets Russia through to the under-21s quarterfinals minimum, could that mean he pretty much has put himself in pole position whenever that is to take over from Stani as the next coach of Spornaya, the senior team? I think it probably does. So this is a big tournament for him as well. Um, but yeah, tonight's result certainly gives Russia a chance and um, it'd be interesting to see how they get on against a, a side who are as talented and um, as fancy as this French team. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I mean, we have all we have mentioned a few times that the RFU tends to bring players forward in big waves, and this is the most recent one. I wonder if Galaktionov would follow them because usually they tend to bring these big sets of players through and then like to match them with an experienced coach to kind of help kind of rebalance some of the potential lack of top-level experience that this large group may have. David, last word on the under-21s. Now, Richard did mention Galaktionov there. Now, do you think that the coaching levels are good enough for the at the youth levels in Russia? Because as they are performing very well in the youngers right now, but is that maybe down to just the sheer prodigious individual talent of this current crop, which is got to be the biggest one since maybe 2010 to 12 era. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a hard one to to judge. I think obviously post World Cup, we we you know we talked to people, we we asked people, and we we were we were hearing that you know football schools were were really in demand. You know, um, I remember talking to a guy I know who lived in Orenburg, which wasn't even a World Cup city, but post World Cup, their their school doubled in size. Um, so there's a there's a bigger demand, and I think going forward, things will improve. Um, from grassroots level, um, you know, you've got all these prestigious football academies. Football seems to be getting more and more popular every year in Russia. Um, you know, it was already a big sport, but I don't know. It feels like there's there's efforts going on to make it more popular. Um, even not even Premier League level, but at lower levels, you know, Feniel is moving onto the TV soon as well in Russia, which it wasn't before. Um, so it it appears there's moves. You know, this current crop of players would have gone into football schools, uh, you know, would have, you know, let's just say they all started in, you know, in their early teens about 10 years ago for the bulk of them. Obviously, Zakarian during the World Cup uh, three years ago would have only been 14 years old. Um, so these guys, a lot of them would have been pre-World Cup players. Um, so it shows that there's something there. You know, these these um, are from a wide range of academies, a lot of these guys. You know, we I remember that we, we did a tweet on RFN which broke it down and the biggest selection of players was from Dino's Academy, which was five. But there's like a spread of like at least 10 clubs providing players for the Russian under-21 squad in this tournament, including clubs like Tom Tomsk have provided one player in, in Daniel Glebov. So it shows that, you know, it's not always about, you know, uh, coaching and talent uh, and, and the prestigious academies. Um, I think we'll, we'll see a change going forwards for, for definite. Um, but it's not, it needs to be more driven. I think at the moment the drive is from 
the demand rather than the drive coming from above, which it should be encouraged as well. You know, there should be encouragement and money yeah. coming from from higher up as well as the demand from the kids driving it. Yeah, that's that's almost even delving into some good old Russian working class proverbs and and literature there, where it's all bottom up and not top down. It's it's from the the people rather than the authorities, which is always a nice a nice thing to do and it's a nice thing to discuss. But there needs to be more done from the highest level. Uh, there's a FIFA Pro investigation that recently came out, and basically they findings were that the infrastructure the authorities and coaching were the three biggest things holding back Russian football so it does need to improve but proof is on the pitch and right now the under 21s is is a very exciting group of players and I really want to I'm really looking forward to seeing them progress seeing them play in this tournament and then inevitably the vast majority of them will make the step up it's not if it's when they will do it and I'm glad you mentioned Tom Tomsk there, David, because we will quickly run through some Finnael fixtures. Of course, it may be the international break, but the Finnael is a real league. It's no farmers league, and they actually play on during the international break. Now, I'll quickly just cover uh, a certain Yevgeny Bukhushmanov, who's returned to Spartak too. He was a very highly rated coach at Spartak for years, and... He became the Russia under-21s manager, speaking of the under-21s, and he's now went back to Spartak 2, uh, replacing the sacked Piplik. Um Got off to one of the worst starts possible. Uh, they, there were 3-0 three, three up, was it, David, against Alania, and drew 3-3. Three, three. No, 2-0 up against Alania and drew 3-3 three, three in the end. Uh, they got tonked again at the weekend. So it's not looking good for them, but I, I feel like it's more a symptom of the quality of squad player at that level rather than Bushman of coming in. He's he's not going to make much of an impact. He's very much a, a thinking man's manager. Um, I'm, I'm glad that he's back though, because at one point he was very, very highly rated and kind of just to peter out into nothing, unfortunately, for a little while. But anyway, we've got the title race is, hot, is hotting up and it seems like Krillia is going to run away with it, David, this year. Yeah, they've... Uh... They've won every game since the since the restart. They're now six points clear at the top. Having I think before the restart, it was it was pretty tight there uh, between the top two. Um, but they've they've been absolutely solid, you know, since the restart, and uh, they're now based on the gap. You know, we've seen um, a little gap form towards towards um, between third and fourth now, uh, and they they just need one more win to guarantee a top four spot and a and a minimum of a playoff. Um, with there only being eight fixtures left in the season, no, sorry, yeah, six fixtures left in the season. Um, so yeah, it seems like a matter of a formality at this point. You know, you can't see uh, them dropping seven points and and dropping down into third or fourth at this stage. So um, yeah, it, it seems all about the formality that they're they'll be promoted as one of the top two um, at this at this stage, playing really well. So Gabe scoring again, he's he's within three goals of them. Um, the 31 goal record, I think, which is by uh, Ruslan Mukhamechin. So he's getting there, and it, it seems very certain he's going to break that with 28 goals. Um, so yeah, very good season for them. Very good restart. Um, second place, you've got a big tussle now between Orenburg and Nizhny. Nizhny picked up a couple of wins after a, a shaky restart, and they're 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 the two that are going for second place now. So they're they're both six and seven points clear of. Alania, who now have uh, jumped over Torpedo in fourth. 
Um, and then, yeah, you got a decent race. Baltica had, had been fantastic since the restart. Until this weekend, they'd played five, won five and not conceded. Um, then they went into this big game against Orenburg. You know, if they'd won it, they'd have been right up there um, pushing for the, the fourth playoff spot. Um, but they lost and now are five points adrift of Alania. Um, so that was a shame because, you know, it, it would be nice to get Baltica maybe with a chance to come up. But um, alas, no. Um, Fakel doing really well mid-table. They, they won again. Um, Andrei Razborov with a brace. He also lobbed the keeper with possibly the highest lob I've ever seen. I think it went about 30 yards in the air, in the air like directly upwards before looping down and, and over the keeper, um, for, which is a, a very strange goal. Uh, but they're, they're fully safe now. They've, they've climbed well out of trouble. Um, you've got Irtish and Akron who are, who are clambering up towards Spartak and Krasnodar who are both... Um, in danger of dropping into the relegation zone. And ultimately, I think we'd all wouldn't be too disappointed. We'd rather see clubs like uh, Akron, especially, who are, who've got, you know, drive and uh, determination to do do something in the future with their with their backing to try and stay up. Um, and then to, to further down, as we said, Tom Tomsk, they've given it a go, um, had a couple of good results um, since the turn of the year. Um, but ultimately, the first half of the season's killed them. You know, they're still... With their good results, still ten points clear of uh, safety, and uh, it seems like they they may end up going back down um, under Alexander Kurjakov, who's built a really good squad of young players um, this second half of the season. Um, some really really exciting players in there. The one one who's highlighted for me is Nikita Krivtsov, midfielder, eighteen years old, looks looks very good um, on loan from. Torpedo Vladimir or Armavir, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Never played for Russia in any of the youth setup, but um, he, he'll be playing in the FNAL for sure next year, at the very least. You know, very, very exciting player by the look of it. <laughs> Torpedo Vladimir, he's on loan from. I just enjoy that in somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I mean, how is Pinyayev getting on at Chitanova this season? I know he's um, been in and, out, in and out of the team, still yeah. obviously only 16. He, he missed a big chunk. Um, in the autumn with injury, uh, but he's he started every game since the restart, and I think he was starting a good few before before um, spring, uh, before the winter break when he came back from his injury. Um, grabbed a brace of assists um, last week against someone bad. It must have been Shinnick. Um, got two assists and, and was also fouled, with her, which got a man sent off. So yeah, you know, 16 years old playing regularly. It would have been good. You know, obviously they were they were due to play um, Maccabi Tel Aviv in the UEFA Youth League, which obviously then was cancelled. And I'm sure he would have been involved in it. Um, so that's a big shame. I don't know how that will work for Chertanova going forwards. Will they get into next year's one? Who knows? Um, it would be a shame if they end up losing out because of this. Um, but yeah, obviously, I mean, Chertanova looks set to go down and maybe that's, you know, we talked about it before. I think it'd be a blessing for them. This group of players is very young in general, mostly 18s and 19s in there. Uh, they probably need a year at the PFL to help them develop um, a year or two down there. Maybe they can then have a go at coming back up. You know, they lost their, their golden generation to Karelia, who, as we can see, have benefited greatly from it. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, big big blow, obviously, losing them. But I think they they won't they won't be worried about being relegated. They'll they'll take it on the chin, go down and rebuild. You know, they're they're a football school rather than a club, as that's as they as they always say. So, so yeah, we'll see how they get on. And Richard, you've been keeping an eye of late on not Torpedo Vladimir, but Torpedo Moscow's results. 
They've had <laughs> in the last week a three nil victory in a in a dark Moscow derby and a managerial sacking as well. Yeah, unfortunately for um, Sergei Nishevich, um the four one defeat away to uh, Nishinovgorod um, last weekend was the the final was the final straw for um, Sergei Nishevich. Unfortunately, he was um, Sergei Nishevich. He was um, he was dismissed after the game, and literally within a day. Um, Torpedo had announced the replacement. We saw um, a four-man shortlist of candidates who they were looking to um, who they were looking to um, hire. But eventually, they chose somebody else. They chose um, Alexander Borojuk, who famously was um, Gus Hiddink's assistant with the Russian national team for a little while. Um, I think he's coached at Zenit as well before. He's quite experienced. I think he's in his early sixties now. And and yeah, they they had an instant impact. They won three 0 against Chetanov at home, and they're only three points off the top four again now. Um, I think if Torpedo are going to come up, yeah, as David alluded to, there's a bit of a gap now emerged between I think I think between Orenburg and Nishni in second and third, and then fourth. There's a bit of a gap now, so I think automatic promotions kind of out of reach now for Torpedo. I think it's they're gonna, if they're going to come up, come up, they're going to probably have to come up through the playoffs. Um, I mean, I still think they can get the playoffs. I'm not sure if they can go up uh, this season, though. Um, I mean, I would like to see them go up. Um, I think even if the Streltz, even if they can't play next year at the Streltz off, I think the Streltz off, the newly renovated Streltz off stadium, only opens, I think, in the summer of 2022. But I mean, I would like to see them come up um, because obviously it's a privately run club uh, with a wealthy owner who I certainly think if they go up will certainly spend money. Um, you know, I think they, you know, Roman Abdey of their owner is, is a very wealthy man. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd like to see them come up. But I think maybe this year they might just miss out. Although, you know, maybe this coaching change could be the impetus to um, to um, reignite the promotion bid. Um be interesting to see where Ignashevich goes now. Will he find another Fenel club to um, rebuild his reputation? But yeah, um, should be interesting developments at Torpedo over the next few weeks, one would think. He's had a bit of a funny career, Alexander Borodiuk, because he he was a very, very talented player. I mean, he's, he's a member of the Grigory Fedotov club, and any player who's a member of that club is, for those who don't know, it's... Um, Players who scored more than 100 goals in their career um, during the Soviet Soviet era, uh, but Borodyuk was a very talented attacker, midfielder, second striker sort of character, but more so number ten now, really. Uh, and he wasn't he never played for Torpedo until the very end of his career. I think one of his last seasons as a player, he was at Torpedo, or oh, well, Torpedo Zil, which is like the precursor, a current Torpedo after all the financial troubles. But he's only had like two senior position senior managerial roles in Russian football aside and they've both been at Torpedo he's he's been assistant of Russia about 12 times he's been director sport, sporting director at Dynamo uh, manager of Kazakhstan and Kairat Almaty in Kazakhstan uh, he's the manager of the Russia under 21s but both of those roles were uh, his only senior roles were Torpedo and if I remember correctly, last time he was at Torpedo, they they, they got relegated, but that's it wasn't on him. It was much bigger issues than that. But yeah, I think it's it's been a very popular appointment with the Torpedo Ultras, and I think that's to be honest the reason why they signed Borodiuk. Yes, they were relegated in his last period in charge, but 
is very, very popular with them for the way that he held himself off the pitch for the football that they played on the pitch. They generally accepted that the relegation was not his fault. And it, it's, it does really seem like the, the board at Torpedo are trying to pacify the ultras because the ultras were very, very, very much against Ignacievich in the end of his tenure, largely because... If those that don't know, Torpedo's a sister club to Spartak. They, they're rivals, but friendly rivals. Very much like a Nottingham Forest, Notts County sort of thing, as opposed to Nottingham Forest Derby in an English context. Uh, so because Ignashevich was a Cisco legend, they never really gave him time of day. Uh, got off to a flyer, so they, they proved, them, proved them wrong. So they put up with him, but it was very much a case of putting up with him, despite the fact they were off to a flyer for their first season, had a very good run of form put together for a little bit of the second season. Uh, he was never really enamoured to their fans, so it's very much a case of just try and salvage anything they can out of this season, try and get fourth ahead of Alania if they can, and move on from there. I think he's only got a contract until the end of the year. So, yeah. Hopefully he can turn it around, because Torpedo are in a little bit of a dire strait. And the results up until the win against Chitanova at the week at uh, midweek. Richard, any last word on the Finnell? Just one last thing about that as well. That's interesting about a contract to the end of the season because one of the candidates for the um, for the role, if we were led to believe it, before um, before Bodajuk was um, taken on, was apparently uh, Andrei Telalayev. Now he's obviously coaching Atmat in the RPL at the moment, which I think could be quite interesting because Atmat it's a club where managers don't tend to stay very long. So I guess you know. They've got Borajuk in, and um, if he gets them into the playoffs and gets them promoted, that could be quite good. But yeah, it could be it could be interesting that um, Torpedo are keeping their hopes open with that because if if Talalayev was suddenly to become available, and they could then have the flexibility if, if Borajuk doesn't make the progress that they are looking for, they could get Talalayev in, and I think that would be a really good appointment because he did well last year at um, at Himki and he contributed to the promotion. So that could be quite um, one to watch, maybe. But yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah, and it, it is kind of paramount that Torpedo do get promoted back into the RPL as soon as possible. As we all know, the unfortunately, the Edward Streltsov Stadium is being has been demolished or is being demolished, and they are moving to a new stadium that needs to be paid for. So the, for their ownership structure, it's, it's vital that they do get their ASAP. David, any last words for yourself on the Finnell? Yeah, yeah, um... Obviously, I mentioned before about um, Fekil and Resborov. Resborov uh, is on electric form for them. He's scored one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine goals in his last uh, seven appearances, uh, which is great form. But uh, I also wanted to just mention uh, Dimitri Vorobiev at Orenburg. Um, I wondered how that would go, that move, after he left Volgar in the summer. Uh, not in the summer, in the winter for Orenburg. Um, you know, he, he'd scored, I think, 10 goals for, for them, 10 or 11 goals. I wondered how he would do at Orenburg, um, you know, with them having Famier and Kozlov, who, you know, experienced strikers. Kozlov obviously was once a big goal scorer in the Feniel before. I think he had a 20-goal season in the past. Uh, and he's done really well. He's done very well since he, he joined Orenburg. Uh, I think he scored five goals since the restart. Um, and he's 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 one of those players who looks like he, he might be the key to um, maybe earning in that second place ahead of Nizhny, who are really struggling for goals right now. Um, you know, their 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 lack of form has coincided with a lack of goals. You know, they brought in Yansan and uh in in the winter and between them they've only scored once so far. So um 
just goes to show the 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 worth of having a good striker and Nijni's lack of of goals is is going to kill them. But um, Orenberg did a really good job bringing in a Borobiev, and it it looks like it's going to pay off for them. Yeah, it's good to see Vorobiev kind of making a little bit of a comeback because when he was released from Krasnodar, wasn't it in 2018? He was released mm-hmm. when he was released from Krasnodar. He was before then he was very much one of the highly rated players. I remember at the time Galietsky giving interviews and he mentioned his the Komlachenkas, Vorobiev's as the like the next step. That was his famous Yacha. I think if, if I remember correctly, it was the famous interview was when he said. Uh, I want a team of 11 Krasnodar Academy players in my first team. That went well. But yeah, you mentioned goals. I'll, I'll just end on Sergeyev. Um, he's got, obviously, as you said, David, 28 goals this season. That's more than the second and third. That's the same amount as the second and third highest goal scorers in the league combined. And then fourth and fifth after that, well, joint fourth after that, are two other Karelia players, just to show how bloody good Karelia have been this season. Absolutely running away with it. Talking about running away, there has been one person run away, or rather get sacked from Siska this season, and that was that, as we reported, discussed the rumours last week, since then, Siska have confirmed the sacking of Viktor Goncharenka and the subsequent appointment of Ivica Olic as head coach. And the 41-year-old Olic has, leaves his role as assistant of the Croatian national team and returns to Siska 15 years after... He left and was in, in great promise and promise to the fans before his move to Bayern that he will he will come back one day, and he has followed through that promise. I mean, he was he was an, he, he he is a club legend at Siska. There is no less than that. He won the from from two thousand three to two thousand six. He scored forty four goals in one hundred and sixteen games. He won the league three times, two Russian cups, two super cups, and most importantly, the UEFA Cup under Valery Gatsayev. Former teammates and, of course, fellow UEFA Cup winners, Milos Klasic and Elvia Rahamic will also join Olic at the club. Um, Krasic, the Serbian, former Serbian winger of Fenerbahce and Juve as well, he's going to be a director. And the Bosnian centre midfielder, General Rahamic, is going to return to a coach he previously held as a role he previously held as a coach at the club. Now, it's I think he is Olic's assistant. Now, what are your thoughts on this, David, first, on, on both decisions? Because you missed last week's podcast. Are they right to sack on Cherenka and is Olic a good replacement? Um, well, they certainly gave him a long time to turn things around on Cherenka. You know, it's been not just this season, but it was shaky last season. As we as we know, you know, ultimately Russia domestically isn't as competitive as it could be. And he's been able to qualify for Europe on both occasions. Um, you know, they're going to qualify for Europe this season. Um, but that's not because Gontrenko has done a good job. It's because the competition haven't done a good job. Um, but in Europe, you know, we've we've seen him, you know, struggle. Um, you know, and, but we we have to give credit. You know, Gontrenko came in. He he. I'm pretty sure he did win the league with them, maybe once. Um, but regardless of that, he had two good young, uh, runs in Europe. Took him to the um, quarterfinals of the Europa League, where um, they eventually lost to Arsenal. Uh, then they had that Champions League run where. They they beat Real Madrid home and away and still came last in the group somehow. Uh, but those two the two victories against Real Madrid will go down in in Cisco history. Um, so yeah, he did a lot of good for the club, uh, Goncharenko, and you know he started a lot of young players' careers. You know that's that's one of the things that Goncharenko has been praised for. Is um, you know we we talk about guys like 
you know, Slitsky, bringing through lots of young talent. Gontrengo's done a good job too with guys like Obiakov, Dureyev, um, you know, half the current Siska Cropper are very young players out there. Um, but, you know, we've seen them really struggle this year with goals, especially, you know, they create so many chances, but they don't score. Um, and the defence has not been as, sh- you know, the defence has not been the way it should have been since Rodrigo Bacal left. Uh, that season where they had Bacal in there, the, the defence was rock solid. Um, and they've, they've struggled since in there, despite having players like Deveev and, uh, well, Deveev being basically the only good player in there. Um, Magnussen does a good job at times. Karpov and Vassin are, uh, well, less said the better, let's just say. Um, so there, there are problems there. And they, they had money in the summer and they didn't invest it the, probably the best way they could have. You know, Geich, you know, we won't even mention Geich. Ajukes, the, the jury's still out on Ajuke, let's just say as well. Um, you know, that was a big, a lot of outlay that went there uh, on those two players. You know, Bruno Fuchs, we're, we're yet to judge him. You know, it was it was a decent fee. He's come in with a lot of um, promise, um, but, you know, just been out with injury. Um, so we yet to see that. And may, maybe that, you know, if he wasn't injured, maybe it would have been a great thing for Siska um, to help them to be better. Um, but, yeah, the investment, which, as I'm pretty sure we've heard, Geich was pushed by Gondrenko. Um, rather than because you know we were all thinking, was it just really bad, like a lack of scouting? Um, but you know, it seemed it seems as if you know it was actually something they'd done, and it's a baffling call because obviously they they just didn't utilize him in a good way at all, and he didn't seem to fit their style at all. So um, some some strange decisions from Gontrenko in the last couple of years. Uh, they have had their struggles. Um, and, you know, for two years to go through struggles, it's a long time for a club. Um, so ultimately, it was probably time to to make a change. And we'll see how Olic gets on, you know, not a lot of experience, but, you know, took the Croatia to the to the World Cup final as the assistant that year. Um, help, you know, helped was a big pivotal part, part in that. Speaks Russian, has a good relationship with the club. Um, you know, Croatian along with Vlasic, which, you know, we we're expecting Vlasic to, to move. Um, but you know we'll see. We'll see. The, the, you know we we give every manager a chance whenever they start somewhere. See how they get on. But I think they do need a change, and, and yeah, mm-hmm. change has come. Yeah, I think they do. We need a change. Gontrenka didn't win the league with with Suskai. Nearly did. I think it was in his second season. They finished second, two points behind Loco when they won the league for the first time in forever. Uh, the for the four league results are as things stand second second, fourth, and fourth. So domestically, they have obviously stepped backwards. Um, the quality of players isn't as good as when he t- took over, but he's manager. Is that up to him? Um, Richard, do you have anything to add from last week on your thoughts on Goncharenka and Olich? And I have actually seen a couple of suggestions online from followers of RFN and some other and some Russian journalists that potentially... Ivica Olic is being brought in to try and get the best out of Nikola Vlasic, one said. Um, what the best is, I don't know, because he already is possibly <laughs> at his best in Russia right now. But do you think that's the case, maybe? Are they, are they trying to get the best out of Vlasic or maybe trying to persuade him to stay? Yeah, I can see that angle of approach towards it. Um, obviously, you hire a compatriot and your star player happens to be of that nationality as well. I can see that approach to it. But then, on the other hand, you know, if let's we've seen Vlasic link with um, AC Milan 
in the Russian press recently. And let's face it, if Milan suddenly slap a thirty million pound, a thirty million euro bid for Vlasic in this summer, then it doesn't matter whether Olic is the coach or not. I really doubt he'll be at Ciscar next season because he's not going to turn down the chance to play for one of the most prestigious clubs in European football. If AC Milan can call him, he's going to go. You know, it's it's. So I could see where those reports were coming from, but at the same time. I think we, I think we probably know that you know if it, it, we're getting you know just to flip clubs, we all kind of have a feeling Asmoon's going to go in the summer, and you kind of get the impression Vlasic will probably go as well. You know, I think he's going to want to have a big Euros this summer in the uh, European Championships with Croatia this summer, and you know we all know he's got he, he's arguably the best player in the league. We all know that um, it's only a matter of time before he goes. So I could see where those those reports were coming from, but. I think it's inevitable that Vlasic will be moving on soon. Ciscar going to get a big transfer fee for him. So, be interested to see what Alex can do with that. I mean, I've been having more of a think about this since last week. And I still think it's a risk, of course. But um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the one thing I will say about this move is, is that, you know, obviously we've we've seen what's happened at Torpedo with Ignashevich. So, thank goodness Ciscar have not gone down that route or gone down the route of... Um, putting the Berezitskis in charge. Otherwise, what was the point in sacking Goncharenko? You know, they didn't, if it was a choice between keeping Goncharenko or putting the Berezitskis in charge, I'd rather have kept Goncharenko because um, obviously he's a lot more experienced than they are in coaching terms. I guess one thing you could say about this move is, is that with Siskan doing it now, it does give Olic a seven-game period from now to the end of the season to assess the squad. If they'd have changed manager, if they'd have moved Goncharenko on in the summer and brought in someone then, then you know they're only having practice games, and they're then having to reevaluate the squad, you know, in the summer break, and then before you know it, competitive games are on you. Suska might only finish fourth this season, so they'd be straight into the Conference League early doors, qualification rounds where they they cannot afford to fail. They have to have a good season in Europe next season. So at least with Olic coming in now, it allows them time to prepare. Um, you know, he's got seven competitive games plus potentially three in the Russian Cup. So there is that to it. Uh, like David said, he speaks Russian. So that's an advantage as well. You know, we we do go on about, you know, we, we would like to see more foreign coaches come to Russia, but obviously the language is an adaptation thing, which they have to eventually, which they have to deal with at the beginning. And it's not always easy. Olic has played in Russia for four years before and crucially speaks the language. So that's an even bigger bonus. Um, I still think it's a gamble, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. At least he, he's going to have some time to, get his feet under the table, which is good. Um, and and it's a clean start for a lot of players. Like I was, you know, we got a message on um, our Twitter, I think from um, an Icelandic fan about wondering what happened to Arno Sigurdsson. And, you know, he had dropped out of favour recently under Gontarenko, but now that there's a new manager in charge, it's a fresh start. Who knows? Um, Emil Bohinen, interesting to see what happens with him, what position or role Olic has for him. Will the formation change? Um, it's going to be intriguing at Siska. Um, I still think it's a gamble to appoint Olic, but um, it'll be inter- it'll be inter- it'll be interesting and entertaining uh, for the rest of the season. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it's a. I mean, this is when I was growing up. When I was younger, I mean, I was ten to ten to thirteen during the time of the Olic Olic's period at Siska, and when they won the cup, the UEFA Cup. And I kind of remember this in my childhood, and I look back on this with a little bit of rose-tinted spectacles, quite happy about like these three being back together. There's a really like, heartwarming photo of Krasic, Olic, and Rahimic as like, the three Balkan players in the squad at the time, um, celebrating the UEFA Cup together. 
it's a really nice story. I hope it goes well for Siska and for Olich, because it, if it does, the fans would just be absolutely delighted. But like I said last week, I always worry about these legendary managers coming into that one club because the pressure's so high, the the passion is high. It, it's it's sometimes difficult to, to do what is necessary to, to detach yourself from the situation. I hope it goes well because when it does, it really does get a club flying. Um, so all the best to them and. I do think, to be quite honest, that they held on to Goncharenka so long. It was so obvious that how re- how far they had regressed from the team that he had uplifted to defeat Real Madrid twice and some brilliant results in that quarterfinal run in the Europa League themselves. So it's quite unfortunate. Richard, any last words of knowledge before we finish up the pod? Yeah, just to say on Goncharenko, I, I do I do say that I do hope we see him in Russian football again. Um, there were some good things, like David said. I was very... Also very impressed at the way, especially Obyakov and Devea. I think there's two players there that he's he's really brought on over the last couple of years. Um, and they, they've definitely been big success stories. And they're two players who I think can play abroad in the future in a big five European league. So that was good to see. Um, Zayutinov was a good signing. Um, and, you know, admittedly, whilst I thought it was with Slutsky's team, he did do a very good job in 2017-18 in Europe. You know, some of those performances were excellent, particularly Leon away. And then they gave Arsenal a good run for the money uh, on um, in Moscow as well in the second leg of that quarterfinal. Um, and, you know, the two results against Real Madrid. It was the last two years, yeah. The last two years dented it a little bit, which was a bit of a shame. But um, I certainly hope Gontrenko has a break now, comes back. And, you know, I still think he could get a mid-table job in the RPL, you know, if Fedotov yeah. was to leave. Um, if Fedotov leave Sochi or someone like Karpin leave Rostov, there's two potential opportunities for him there. So maybe even the Russian national team job in the future, who knows? You know, I still think... He shouldn't be lost to Russian football. It just, yeah, I do agree. It got a bit stale at the end, but hopefully mm. he'll come back fresher. And he's still very young, only 45. So um, I still think there's some mileage there. Just a few things he needs to improve. Yeah, talented manager. His time at Ufa proved just how talented that he is. And he will, if he does get another job in the in the RPL, he will walk into it. And I'm, I think he probably would be a success. I think he needs to be more pragmatic. He showed some good pragmatism when he was at Ufa. He wasn't... Sort of, Siska was far too often stuck to this one philosophy, this one style, and there wasn't really far much pragmatism away from that. I don't know if his signing of Geich was an aim to try and move on from that, but it didn't work out whatsoever. And it that one signing of Geich probably is the catalyst for the decision that's been that's been made. To be quite honest with Goncharenka, but he's he is a very good coach, and I think one of the things that he needs, and Geich again highlights it is he needs a solid structure around recruitment and transfers around him. He needs to be a head coach. He was a head coach at Siska, but like you both mentioned earlier, he was the one who really pushed for Geich. And when he was at Ufa, it's it's as the Spartak story has told us, Gazizov has all control and all control stops with Gazizov. The head coach is merely the trainer. So Goncharenka, there's definitely a future for him in the game. He just needs a break. And I think this really had... The writing had been on the wall since he took that break and go back to Belarus with the angina problem, the high blood pressure. You could just see that it was really getting to him and it was a inevitability that Tim and Cisco were part ways sooner rather than later. And on that bombshell, this is just about the end of the RFN podcast this week. On Saturday, Russia hosts Slova- uh, Slovenia in Sochi. And then on Wednesday, they travel to Slovakia for the first away game of this qualifying campaign. The Finnael continues as usual. With one of the standout games, a battle at the bottom of the table as Chetanova host Akron. 
who are still actually unbeaten in since the return to action in, action in late February. David, where can everyone find yourself online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. And Richard? You can find me on Twitter at RichDPike89, at RichDPike89. This has been the RFN Podcast. Goodbye for now. Субтитры